am Julie Moran, and I am so thrilled to bring you my podcast, Limitless, Boldly Tackle Your Next Chapter. Today on my Limitless podcast, I'm speaking with Elisa DiLorenzo, the host of the One Extraordinary Marriage Podcast, one of the most popular marriage podcasts today. For over a decade, she and her husband, Tony, have helped couples reconnect in their marriages through better sex, love, and commitment. She talks honestly about Tony's porn addiction and how a 60-day sex challenge helped bring them back together. If you and your spouse have drifted apart or feel your marriage has gotten a bit stale, then this podcast may be one that you want to listen to together. Hi, Alisa. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi there. How are you? I'm great. Can we start with a virtual hug? Sure. <laughs> I love that you start each of your podcasts with a hug. When did that start? Oh, <laughs> Why did you start that? You know, it really became an opportunity for us to share um, to share what was going on. And it felt like it felt like every time somebody gave us a testimonial or feedback of any type, it felt like we were getting a hug. And so we just started calling them hugs and they've really become so, so much a part of the show. People love hearing them. They love it when they're featured on that because we keep them anonymous. Mm. And so it's just a way for people to get recognized um, and hear other people's success stories. I love it. And I can't wait to delve into learning how to reconnect with your spouse. But I want to talk about your journey a little bit first. You've been married for 25 years, my husband and I, 33 and oh we have two kids, you do. And anyone who's been married that long has gone through ups and downs. You and I know that. And you've been very transparent with your challenges. In fact, you almost divorced, I think, after year four. Can you talk a little bit about your journey and some of the hardships and your marriage has gone through? Definitely. Well, you are correct. At year four, um, Tony had just returned from hiking the Pacific Crest Trail. He'd been gone for 138 days. Wow. And we were living in Orange County, California at the time. So here, my super optimistic, always cheerful husband had gone from living out of a backpack and not seeing people to coming back to one of the craziest, busiest areas of our country. And he was really overwhelmed and he actually fell into a depression. Mm. And I got to a point, I mean, this was, oh gosh, you know, in 2000. So there were still yellow pages back then. But I remember sitting at work one day and flipping through the yellow pages going, how do I find a divorce attorney? Wow. And um, came home from work at lunch that day and had the, the very common, I love you, but I don't love you. I'm not in love with you conversation um, with Tony. And we really had to step into this place of going, okay, what does that look like? And, and that was just the first of our challenges over the years. We would um, we would deal with crawling ourselves out of debt. We would deal with the loss of our second child, uh, pornography. I mean, we, we started going through these, you know, it's kind of like peeling back the layers of an onion. You know, the longer you're with someone, life happens. And, you know, what are those decisions? We had to make the decision that we weren't going to get divorced. So we, the only other option then was to figure out how to do marriage well. And you have learned how to do it so well that you have written books. People come to you for marriage counseling. And the process, I believe, starts with you asking them questions to get to know them. What are some of those key questions you ask to get to know them and where their marriage is at? Yeah, so I've been actually coaching folks now for, gosh, over eight years. And 
you know, anytime I start working with an individual or with a couple, because sometimes a spouse isn't quite ready to, to start coaching just yet, you know, I want to know the journey that a couple's been on. What are the challenges that they're facing? What have they tried? Right. Sometimes it can be so illuminating to find out, you know, did you try books, podcasts? Did you go to another counselor? Did you try marriage retreats? What, what have you what have you done to actively resolve the situation? And I always want to know, you know, what are your dreams? What do you mm. want your marriage to look like? Um, I think sometimes as couples have been married, you know, longer and longer, somehow we lose sight of what the dream was on the day that we got married. And so getting into this place of saying, all right, what, what is the dream? What do we want our communication to look like? What do we want date nights to look like? What do we want our sex life to look like? Um, especially, you know, when you get into that second and third decade of marriage where you're like, okay, we've been doing this for a while. <laughs> yes, we have. Rob and I know that. And then, yeah. you, then you teach couples about, I think it's the six forms or six pillars of intimacy. <laughs> what are they? So the six, we've actually been teaching around the six pillars, um, gosh, for 11 years now and didn't really coin the phrase until COVID because, you know, mm. COVID. Um, but the six pillars of intimacy are emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, financial intimacy, spiritual intimacy, recreational intimacy, and sexual intimacy. And, and we got into this place of defining them because so often when people hear the word intimacy, they think sex. You know, it's, it's usually like what happens in the bedroom. And what we realized, you know, over the last 11 years of studying marriage is that one, a marriage does not survive on sex alone. And two, there are multiple different areas of life where you can feel connected and close to your spouse. And each one of these pillars, we refer to them as the pillars because when pillars are strong, they support the structure. Right. If you think about the Colosseum, and, you know, when you think about these great structures in Italy and Greece, you think about the strength of those pillars. Sure. And when we talk about the six pillars of intimacy, they really are the strength behind your marriage. And I think it's also about being honest with ourselves. And, and if we're weak in one of those pillars, what do you tell people to do and how do you strengthen that? Well, you bring up a really good point. You know, one of the things that the six pillars does, what this framework does, is it allows couples, um, individuals and couples to look at their marriage and not just feel like, like the whole thing is broken and we've got to just, you know, toss out the entire, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, but it allows them to say, wait a minute, we've got cracks in this pillar. We've got cracks in our sexual intimacy pillar. So let's, let's figure out what we need to do, you know, whether it's taking turns initiating, whether it's scheduling sex, whether it's trying a new lubricant or a toy, or, you know, what are the actions that we can take to address the cracks in a pillar? And it really, so much of what Tony and I do come from this place of empowering couples to be intentional and take action. And so when you know where the cracks are, you actually have, because you've labeled it, you've given it an identification, you can then start strategizing what's the action that's going to seal up that crack? What's the action that's going to strengthen that pillar? I love that. And I love that you coach that. And I know you talk about the confidence circle. Can you talk about that? I deal with a lot of women who over the course of time, you know, confidence can be one of those places where we just kind of get robbed of it over the years. You know, life throws us all sorts of different challenges. And so getting into a place where we look at confidence and say, okay, where, 
where has it come? And most often I deal with women specifically around the area of sexual confidence and getting into a place of understanding where has that confidence been robbed? Mm. You know, what are those things that we've faced in our past, whether it's um, situations in the marriage, whether it is, you know, messaging that we received growing up as young girls and young women around what sex should look like, what that should feel like. And, you know, who are those people? A lot of times that we need to forgive. Um, and, and what are those areas? What are those messages that we've received about sex? And then stepping into that place of saying, you know what, we're all adults now. Um, and, and really speaking to women and giving them permission to to find what works for them in their marriage, to explore, you know, what it means to be a wife first and the woman in their marriage to say, you know what, what does it look like if I understand what works for me sexually? If, it, if I understand how I enjoy pleasure, if I understand how I best, you know, receive an orgasm, you know specifically around orgasms, Hollywood would have you believe that every woman is having this amazing vaginal orgasm. But the truth <laughs> of the matter is, is that for most women, it's a clitoral orgasm. And even just that knowledge, I think it's like 75% of women uh, will orgasm via the clitoris as opposed to only 25% vaginally. But that's not what we see in media. No, and it's not so at all. Even just having that awareness, women are, are free to go, wait a minute. <laughs> okay, if this isn't happening that way, then then there's actually, like, I'm not broken. That's right? so, so women, important to know, yes. Yeah, and, and to get into this place of saying, okay, if I'm not broken, right, if, if there isn't something wrong with me, if, I'm, if this is just the way I was made, then let me go embrace that and let me explore what that looks like with my husband. That's wonderful advice. And I'm holding your book right now, Con Connect Like You Did When You First Met, which has mm -hmm. 101 proven questions for couples. I love this because it forces couples who probably get into a rut talking about the same things over and over again to talk about topics like you say, uh, like finances, sex, spiritual matters. It's almost a workbook, right? Mm -hmm. It really, you know, what we discovered prior to writing that book is that, you know, for Tony and I, our conversations revolved around paying the bills, the kids schedules, and, you know, what was happening in our extended families. There wasn't a whole lot about us in that particular season of life. And we were losing this connection. Um, we, you know, we'd get in the car and, you know, there was nothing to talk about. So we'd just sit in silence or whoever was in the passenger seat would be on their phone. And so you just kind of get to this place where you're like, all right. Um, or we'd sit down at the table or go out on a date and there was nothing to talk about. And what we've learned over the years is that if it's something that we're struggling with, it's probably something that other married couples are Absolutely. struggling with. And so, we really went in search of, you know, saying, how can we how can we equip first and foremost ourselves to be able to have better conversations? And out of that, the book grew. It's literally it's a qu book of questions. Yes, it is. And, you know, couples can I mean, we keep ours in the glove box of our car um, so that when we're in the car and it's just the two of us or you know, even if we're out with friends, um, you know, because most of those questions outside of the sex ones can be answered, you know, with other couples. I love that. Um, yeah. And just, you know, let, let's just take turns asking and answering questions. Let's listen, you know, as a married couple to what our spouse has to say without, without interrupting, without correcting, without getting defensive, just actually hearing what's on their heart, hearing what their dreams are, hearing 
what matters to them. Because after, you know, 20, 30 years together, you know, your spouse is not the same person that you married all those years ago. No, they, they have different dreams and desires. I love this book. And and Rob and I are, we're, we're definitely going through all 101 questions. I promise love you it. that. Another one of your books is the seven days of sex challenge. Just mm-hmm. tell me more about that one. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> so when Tony and I were really at the crossroads in our marriage, where you know, our kids were two and five, we were in the throes of raising children. And you know, we knew we had to get radical. We were looking at divorce for the second time because life was not good. It was so routine, so boring. We weren't having sex. And at that point in time, Tony had proposed doing a 60 day sex challenge. And long story short, we ended up completing 40 out of 60 with, you know, me getting my period, kids getting sick, travel, things like that. But what we realized is that what we had done in that two month period had completely transformed our lives. And yet we know, and we knew back then that most couples can't, it's challenging just with our full lives to be able to commit to 60 days, right? Like we're going to do this for 60 days. And so we started going, okay, well, what could happen in seven days? What if a couple made one another a priority for seven days, could they shift everything? And that's really, we saw it happen. We, we did, um, gosh, it was probably our second year of One Extraordinary Marriage. We actually proposed it to our audience and said, hey, we're doing this challenge this week. We'd love to have you join us. Um, you know, each of you, and we did daily videos of just encouragement and, and it, those all became the chapters in the book. Uh, but what we what we heard from couples was that, you know, it's not just about the sex. The sex is the catalyst for the challenge. But when a couple gets intentional about making one another a priority, the conversations change, the physical touch changes, the the gripes and the complaining are lessened because you're not going to complain to your spouse if the intention is to have sex later on in the day. You don't want to have grumpy sex. <laughs> I love no that. <laughs> you do not. That's yeah. for sure. And you also talk about micro dates. What are some examples? <laughs> oh, micro dates are my favorite. You know, a lot of times, again, we have these full lives, whether you're running a business, running the kids around, taking kids to college, doing whatever. And so it can be hard sometimes for a couple to find, you know, two, three, four hours for a date. And, you know, particular seasons get very busy. And so the the idea behind the micro date is saying, what can we do in 15 to 30 minutes to really designate that you're a priority in my life? And so this might be, I, I often joke with my individual coaching clients. I'm like, what can you do in the amount of time that it takes an ice cream cone to melt? right? Go, go to the ice cream store, sit down, have an ice cream cone, right? Sit down and finish a cup of tea or coffee together and just be focused on one another for that period of time. Play a hand of cards or, you know, a quick, uh, a quick board game or dice game or something like that. Because what happens is that interruption, that 15 to 30 minutes of saying, you are the most important person in my world right now, is often enough of a reset, enough of a connection between husband and wife that that everything elevates, that mm. you get into this place of saying, oh my gosh, I remember why we fell in love. This was the attention I used to get from you, and now mm. we're doing it again. Gosh, I love that. 
I love, I've never thought about a micro date. We always have date night, but you're right. Sometimes you can't have four hours. So I, I'm, 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 I'm infiltrating micro dates into my routine. <laughs> uh, I love it. You know, a quote that, um, that I've heard you talk about, you say a successful marriage requires you to fall in love several times, but always with the same person. Can you mm-hmm. expound on that further? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, we have to make the choice daily to love our spouses. I've shared on our podcast, I've shared in interviews and, you know, even on stages at conference that there are times when I have woken up and I'm like, why, why was getting married a good idea? You know, cause Tony and I might be having a fight or, you know, we're just struggling with something. And in those moments, I have to make the choice to actively demonstrate my love. I have to choose daily that he is, he is my vision of what the most handsome man on the planet is. I have to make the choice that I'm going to communicate with this man when I don't want to, right? When I'm feeling offended or defensive or things like that, I have to make the choice that, you know, I chose him to be my sexual partner as long as life shall last. That was the end of our vows. And so I choose to do those actions daily. And I choose to do those things that will keep me in love with Tony, as opposed to allowing you know my eyes to, to get diverted outside of the marriage. Wow. What can a person do to fall in love with their spouse again? First and foremost, you have to spend time with your spouse. It's so easy the longer that we're married to have other interests, um, to have divergent interests or parallel interests. And, you know, after years of raising kids and we're getting ready to launch one into college here, you know, it can be very easy to have everything wrapped up around the kids. Oh, we've got to take this one to practice and this one's got school and, and, you know, work is accelerating and I'm busy and we often lose sight of that person. And so coming back to this place of saying, you know what, if if I'm going to love you, I mean, going back to the beginning, you dated and and you spent time with and you got to know the person that you married. To fall in love again, you have to do all of those same things. It mattered then and it still matters now. Well, I I, I think that's a very, very true statement. And Rob and I, you know, 33, would be 33 years. um, Mm -hmm. We have some rules, like one of them is, never go to bed angry. And that's been really one of our things that we've just vowed we are not going to do. And sometimes it will take, you know, till one in the morning until we forgive, you know, but Mm -hmm. we've tried not to lay the head on the pillow angry. And I also love the spiritual aspect of your podcast and your books. And, you know, I love that verse in the Bible that says a cord of three strands is not Mm -hmm. easily broken. And, and where do you think this spiritual element comes into a marriage? Well, for Tony and I, it's been huge. There have been times, seasons, um, specifically for me when we lost our son, Andrew, where I know the only way that we made it through our marriage was leaning on God. I know that there were a lot of prayers from a lot of people um, helping us get through that season. I know that when we have faced you know, debt when we faced our son, you know, having a massive knee injury at the end of his, you know, football season. I know that there were times when we, we wouldn't have made it through in our own strength. Mm. 
And it's those times where even if we can't pray together, even if you know one of us is just feeling dry, that the other has been there to not only pray, but to, to lift the other one up in prayer. And, you know, we actually had an incident a few weeks ago where Tony and I were recording a Facebook live and I literally felt my tongue um, just start to go numb during the, during the live. And I literally hopped off our, our desk, our recording area. And I'm like, I can't talk. And, and this lasted for a number of days. And I remember at one point in time, Tony said, honey, you need to pray. And I just looked at him and I said, I'm going to need you to carry this weight today because the only thing that I feel like I can say right now is Jesus. Mm. And, and the beauty of a marriage that has spiritual intimacy as one of those pillars is that he very much just took up that mantle in that moment and started praying for me. And literally within about half an hour, this has been after five days, within about half an hour, I felt something shift in my brain and my tongue was restored and um, answered prayers totally just answered prayers. I am so with you. I mean, I, two miscarriages and, mm. and there's no way I would have ever made it through without Rob praying for mm-hmm. me and knowing yeah. that God was in there with me in the darkest place of my life. So I, I, I think the spiritual pillar in our marriage has been one of the things that has carried us through 33 mm. years. And I, I could yeah. not be more thankful that we have that. We're almost out of time, but I want to ask one last question. What do you say to someone who's looking to reconnect with their spouse, but has absolutely no idea where to begin? Two things. One, start thinking what that vision is that you you want to create at this point in time in your marriage. If you've been married 20, 25 years, what's that dream that you have for the next 20 or 25 years? And then the second part of that answer is to to start with baby steps. You know, so often we as women we want to we want to cross that finish line. It's like running a marathon, and we just want to hear the hear the cheers and the applause and feel the tape, you know, fall away from us as we cross the finish line. And the truth is, is that no marathoner ever gets to the finish line without taking the first step. Mm-hmm. And so it's looking at you know if you want to have if you want to create an extraordinary sex life, it's looking at okay, what can I do now? Can I, can I wear sexy lingerie? Can I suggest to my husband that we have sex in a different room in the house? If you want to have extraordinary communication, can I ask him, you know what, can we just go for a walk and talk? Can we get out of the house and go have a conversation of just, you know, what are our dreams for the next three months? If you want to have that spiritual intimacy, you know, put the worship music on and say, honey, let's just worship together, right? What's the baby step? Make it small so that you can actually feel like you can accomplish it and then go out and accomplish it. Such great advice. Alisa, thank you so much for coming on the show. I need to schedule a date night right now and (laughs) ask him a few questions from your book. (laughs) There you go. Well, thank you for having me. It was an honor and a privilege. And listen, for my listeners out there who are looking for ways to reconnect with their spouse, go right now subscribe to the one extraordinary marriage podcast it is amazing thank you again alisa it's been such a pleasure my pleasure thank you all right bye-bye bye-bye thanks so much for joining me on limitless boldly tackle your next chapter subscribe to the podcast to be the first to know when new episodes drop you can also keep up with me on instagram at it's me julie moran Stay bold, everybody.